Welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. I'm a mom, physician assistant, writer, and life coach. Two years ago, I was feeling stuck, restless, overwhelmed, and I felt like I wasn't where I was supposed to be, but I had no idea what that even meant. And the crazy part is my life had turned out pretty awesome, at least on paper, but I couldn't figure out what was wrong or why I felt out of alignment. A series of books and podcasts and conversations changed my life and revealed my next journey one step at a time. My purpose right now is to help you wake up to your soul's purpose by sharing conversations with amazing women who've walked in your shoes. Keep listening and the answers to your next step will come, I promise. We're all here for a reason, and I'll help you figure out what that is so you don't have to waste another minute sleepwalking through your life. I definitely don't have it all figured out, so I'll also share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Today we have Elizabeth Heiss. She is my friend and fellow coach, and Elizabeth was a lawyer before she left the law field. Is that what it's called? Law field? The practice of law, yeah the practice of law and transitioned into this realm. And before this, Elizabeth, you were a, you are a writer, right? Yes. Um, and also like once a lawyer, always a lawyer, once <laughs> a writer, always a writer. Like I am everything I have ever been. <laughs> I love that. That's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So walk me through when you were doing law and then you had a moment of realization where you thought, maybe I don't want to do this forever. Well, you know, it wasn't so much that I had that epiphany. Um, I, first of all, there's a lot of great things about the practice of law. Winning is fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> I always enjoyed that. Also, like being a woman in the law is very powerful because it still is very much an old boys network, or at least it was when I was practicing. And so when I would go to my hearings, I'd very bring this big pink folder, not because I love pink, but just because I wanted to make a statement that, yeah, women belong in these spaces too. So that was cool. Um, what I didn't love is making war all day. And so once I got pregnant and was kind of, you know, we were trying to figure out how to do family and career, it became an issue. Um, when I thought about how I was going to integrate my children into my uh, work life, mm -hmm. I really just thought about how I personally was going to do that. I didn't think about how my husband, Mark, who's also a litigator, was going to make any adjustments in his professional life or in his day-to-day -day, uh, schedule. So, you know, looking back, I probably would have had a different conversation about that, both with myself and with my husband. Yeah. Um, but instead, you know, this was 2003 and um, I thought I had made a really great deal, but it turns out I had put all of it on me. And really when we think about what um, society expects women to do. Um, we need to be a professional. We need to be a perfect mother. We need to do everything for the kids. We need to provide all the transportation, all of the communications, mm -hmm. with all the various handlers, the coaches, the teachers, the friends, the parents, yeah. the kids. We need to be doing all of it. Um, not because we decided we should be doing that, but these are just unspoken societal pressures that we swim in every day. 
Yes, um, it's so true. And, that, and then getting there for the, all the little school events, the preschool, like Thanksgiving lunch and all of those things. And if you have a, a job like a lawyer, you can't just scoot out. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of times it's either feeling guilty that you're not showing up for your kids or guilty that you're not at work. So it's very much this double bind that, um, that women are in, no matter what your choice is, you're mm -hmm. not doing the thing that you're expected to do, which is everything. So mm -hmm. I knew that I didn't want that. I knew that that was kind of a, um, a losing battle. I just knew that. Um, and the idea of me trying to find a nanny, like my friend Virginia had a nanny to come from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and then wow. from 7 p.m. to when the kids went to bed. Um, she didn't want somebody living in her house all the time. She did want to have family time, but really she had help in the house dealing with her children pretty much around the clock. Yeah. When everybody was literally passed out. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, how many years did you practice law before you had kids? So I have also a graduate degree and then I went to law school. So I practiced from like for about six years, which is around the time where you, um, are becoming you know, eligible for partnership. And that was when I got pregnant. Ah. So I was just starting to have all my own clients and, you know, my, my career is budding in this, like, you know, just as anybody who's out in, in those number of years does, but then along came Jane and, um, you know, I interviewed my very first nanny and I was like, well, she's going to be a baby. You know, what do you do with a baby all day? You yeah. Know? And Stephanie, this very lovely nanny, <laughs> would-be nanny said, well, I would just basically be her mom. And I was <gasps> like, huh. oh, mic drop. That's like, honey, <laughs> wrong answer. <laughs> I was like, well, that concludes our interview. <laughs> Poor thing. Oh my gosh. That was a very low percentage line. Like, And that's like a gut punch Stephanie. for you. Yeah. And you know, backing up, it really was not the thing to say to me because my family of origin had some issues around that. You know, my mom left our family when I was 12 and, um, it, you know, coming up with somebody who was not my mother and did not want to replace my mother, really do any sort of nurturing, um, didn't go great. Let's just yeah. say. So I kind of had a little trauma around that. So the idea of somebody else being like, oh, I'll just come in and do that. I was like, oh, yeah. no, I think you will. Yeah. <laughs> so Mark and I had the conversation um, about just having one of us be the one who disappear disappears for trial for six weeks. You know, mm -hmm. um, you can't have two parents doing that and reasonably think that we're going to be present in the lives of our children. So because I didn't realize this, you were explaining this to me earlier. Um, when you go to trial, you really do disappear for six weeks, right? Like you may have to travel somewhere. Well, it's not just uh, disappearing for the actual trial, because that's how he how long he was gone for that particular, you know, when you're in front of the judge till when the judge dismisses, the, you know, the, the case is over. But the trial prep goes on for weeks in advance of that too. Mm -hmm. So it just means that that trial, that those issues required that length of time. It's not always like that. In fact, you really can't count on, on any uh, particular length of time. That's the whole problem is that okay. you just don't know. Um, it could be a day, you could settle that afternoon or you could be gone for six weeks. It's just, yeah. you know, luck of the draw. Um, so 
two parents doing that would just not be a good idea to bring any kids into that dynamic. But there are plenty of people who do, who still want to have a family and don't have like all the angsty stuff about leaving your kid with people that I did. You know, some people have wonderful help that works out great. They have involved grandparents that are wonderful. I mean, like Mm -hmm. there are all kinds of dynamics that work, but um, ours just, I couldn't get my brain around that. And we were very lucky to be able to live well on one salary. So that's what we did. And, you know, I went home with all my litigator energy to like focus on motherhood. So I was like, yeah, kind of a tiger mom a little bit, you know? <laughs> so Elizabeth, did you quit? Um, did you like, tell me about that conversation? What was that like when you went in and said, I'm leaving? Well, I had Jane with me, of course, because I would not leave her at all until she went to college, which is a couple of months ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I did give her some freedom. Um, she came with me and the I, they owed me money because I had like these cases settling and I, I think had something going to trial right before I gave birth. Um, and so when I went in to ask for more money, um, I remember uh, the partner looking at me like, is that even a real baby? You know, (laughs) (laughs) like you're just making all this stuff up. You're trying to squeeze me for more cash. I'm like, Hey man, those are my clients and it's settled and I want my money. So hand it over. So I asked them for a whole bunch of money and then said I wasn't coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Did you feel relief or what did you feel? Uh, Yeah, I guess that was part of it. Um, I was glad to be available to my daughter. I was like the whole idea of having to leave my kids for, I don't know how long, just litigation is a huge ball of big question mark in terms of how um, many hours, whatever it is, is going to take. Yeah, that was a relief, but also that period of motherhood was a solo effort, you know? Yeah. I was on my own, you know? And it was really lonely. It was so quiet in my home. I was like, oh my God. I just Mm -hmm. went from bustle, bustle life to like silence, you know? It is hard. And a lot of women don't talk about how hard motherhood is those first few months or the first few years. And I mean, it can be a very lonely place. Um, I mean, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, he can't do anything. Like I was just bored out of my mind and, you know, felt guilty for getting online and right. Oh my God. You should have seen when I, um, for Jane's, um, birth announcements, I made this trifold handmade like confection that had like this little die cut heart with a tiny little bow and a white button in the middle of it. And then like a little cutout with her picture on it. And then like the birth stuff. Oh my Lord. Yeah. Like I was just Martha Stewart, just gone bananas. (laughs) But as I was putting that thing together, Jane was in the little bouncy seat and I was like, barely like bouncing it with my left foot. And I'm like, there's something wrong with this, Mm -hmm. you know? So I knew that my standards of mother had really needed to be more closely examined. (laughs) (laughs) Like that was not a sustainable model by any stretch. Right. Just because I wasn't practicing law, it didn't mean that I had to just be like this, like crazy perfectionist either, you know? Yeah. So then how close are your children? You have three? Yeah. 
So Jane is uh, going to be 19. Jackson will be 16 soon. And Finn is 13. So okay. I've got a whole lot of teenage energy going on. Jane is not here, but we keep in very close touch. So yeah, yeah, we've got three teenagers. So how did you discover writing or have you always written like even in high school? Um, well, it's funny in high school, I remember getting that book, um, writing down the bones, Natalie Goldberg, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember reading it at 16 and thinking, I really want to write. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had this feeling that what was happening in my life was too painful to write about. Yeah. Um, and actually just today, my post about the story that I wrote, um, talked about how, as memoir writers of writers of creative nonfiction, we need to write from the scars, not from the wound. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you're raw and you haven't really, um, you haven't gone through the pain and come out the other side of it, that's not anything that's going to be helpful to a reader or mm -hmm. even pleasant to read, quite frankly. Um, and I think for the first time in a really long time, I felt like I was writing from the wound a little bit, like yeah. in today's story, I really felt like that. But honestly, it's a weekly piece and, you know, it just came out how it came out and I just hit send and, you know, so um, finding writing was a slow burn. When I um, went, like at, right after undergrad, I went to Costa Rica for a year and took a journal. And for that year, I was writing a lot. Mm. And um, it was a very cathartic experience. I figured out some things as I wrote. Journaling is a really powerful, powerful exercise. Um, but in terms of like really writing, like making a, a beginning, middle and end, Mm -hmm. um, I'm more trained as a lawyer, like issue, issue, rule, analysis, conclusion, like that's legal writing, but <laughs> not how I write now. Um, and I found writing when a dear friend of mine wanted to attend a, a, um, a community writing class. And it was with writing class radio, which is this neat podcast. Um, and we did some prompts and after everybody had finished, the instructor asked who wanted to share. And my heart just started beating out of my chest. And I was like, this is so great. You know, like yeah. I want to tell this story, you know, and yeah. it wasn't like this wonderful story that I just had. To, I just wanted to share it, you know? Yeah. Sounds like it, it made you feel alive. Yes. Yeah. Like that's that feeling when you're just like, so nervous and afraid, but excited. Like it was mm -hmm. fabulous. So I was like, Ooh, I'm doing this. So from that point forward, like after that class, we formed a writing group, those same folks, and we were together for years. In fact, wow. we even wrote together during the pandemic. Um, and we're still like, we're individuals of us are still friends with each other. Our writing group fizzled out. A lot of people moved and there was other bunch of stuff happening, but, um, we like went through that beginning writer's life together um, during the pandemic. I just really felt this pull to put all the narratives together, all the stories that I've been telling for a while. And so I wrote a book and in August of 2020, it was done. That's crazy. So, back up, back up system. Yeah, okay. So done. did you have the book in your head all along? And then the pandemic sort of made you put it down on paper or how did that work? Well, 
you know how I was, I don't think I've said this, but when I um, left the practice of law and became a mom, I then went into turbo mode. I was, you know, the social chair at my temple and I was the legis legislative chair at the middle school and I was the ag advocacy chair at the high school. And I was just like volunteering everywhere because mm -hmm. I felt like if I'm not going to be at my law job, then I have to be in advocacy mode and in, you know, doer mode and volunteer mode everywhere else, you know? know, why do we do that? Because we love to torture ourselves. No, no, we don't love to torture ourselves. <laughs> it is an external expectation that if you privileged lady who get to be at home with your kids, if you're going to cool your heels like that, you better be showing up to every damn thing. You better be baking every cupcake and, you know, yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. A lot of pressure. So when the pandemic came, guess who didn't have to do any of that stuff anymore? Oh, okay. Yeah. So you had hours in your day back. Well, I finally got my life back and it wasn't, it didn't have any shoulds in it at all, mm -hmm. at all. There was no, you should volunteer for the 10,000 things. No, no. It was, what do I want to do with my life? And I was like, I want to write. Yeah. So I got to work and I wrote the whole story and I was like a different person on the other end of it. Really. And is it a memoir? Yeah, it's called Scrappy and it's yes. my story. Y'all should read it. Can they get it on Amazon? Uh, well, okay. So that's the other thing is that when it was all done, I was like, hmm, do I want this to be the first thing that I write? I don't know. Okay. You know, I have a message and it continued to evolve after I was finished with the book. I talked to a marketing guy about how, you know, you to do the next steps. And he said, all right, well, um, writers of memoir need an author platform. So that means you have to show up on all these yeah. social media and whatever you and I have kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, and I was like, well, what do you mean author platform? <laughs> I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. But he introduced me to the wonderful world of Instagram, where I've now made it this creative space. Like I write little essayettes and um, show up to write stories there. Um, and he also recommended having a weekly newsletter, which I do. And I love, I, know, I, mean, I, love I absolutely it too. love it. It's the best thing that I do all week. Honestly, it's so fun. Yeah. Um, and it's not just fun, but it's a catharsis for me. Mm -hmm. Some issue that I'm dealing with literally every week. Um, and I know that people relate to it because I get some really beautiful, um, feedback about what everyone else is going through. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it sort of seamlessly fits into what we are now doing together, which is this Martha Beck Wayfinder program. Um, I didn't expect at all to have this kind of like self-help self-discovery, um, focus in my writing. It was yeah. the last thing I would have expected, but that's what I've been curious about every week since I started writing. <laughs> that is it's so cool though, because you're already a writer. You can get all those thoughts that are jumbled up in your head down on paper and share them with other people and they can get something from it. Yeah. Well, that's the idea. And, and, you know, when I was writing this story this week, um, there was a part of it that I almost didn't include, you know, it was this part about my stepmother and all these super problematic things she said to me the whole week. And I was like, does this serve the story? Does it need to be in here? 
And um, I, I, I still don't know. I might take it out because it's going to be on my website, you know, or it yeah. is on my website. But first I send it out to everybody, you know, and I can yeah. tweak it for its permanent home. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, ultimately I, um, I want to stick to the need to tell the truth yeah. and that's the truth, you know, and it's it may so not be pretty or in a nice package or feel good, but it's true. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about being in alignment with your essential self. So that's where you're like living a life of truth. And when you're out of alignment, what does that feel like to you when you're like, how do you know when you're out of alignment? Well, I felt it so many times over the course of the weekend because I kept having to check in with myself and ask myself, like, is this okay for you to be in this space and not saying anything? Is mm -hmm. this okay? And so many times the answer was no, this is not okay. So I had to like, just take a breath and say what I need to, to say and have it have the repercussions that it had and then move on, you know? Yeah. And like with the breath of kindness, I just had to say what I needed to say, you know, yeah. I didn't come at it with any heaviness or any like resentment or whatever. I just had to like be true to myself. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that comes through in your writing too. Okay. Do, do you, does your husband read your writing or your kids? Do you know? If oh, they yeah. ever... My daughter always does. Um, my sons, I don't think they ever do. In fact, <laughs> kind of like they're sort of like Instagram phobic, you know, that's funny. Um, I thought all well, kids were in the, well, actually, you know, boys are different in that way. Like my daughter yeah. just is living her life out loud, like just <laughs> doing everything and saying yeah. everything and whatever. Um, I think I've trained her well in that regard, but, <laughs> <laughs> but my sons, um, my middle guy is very much an introvert. He does not want people like examining anything about his yeah. life. Which, okay. Understood. I completely respect that. My little one is a big skateboarder and he, um, he has a very active TikTok that is like <laughs> death buying, you know, he, he does many very scary, um, skateboard tricks. And so <laughs> that's his, his comfort zone, but he doesn't want anybody posting anything else about whatever. So I gotcha. Yeah. Well, so how did you go from writing? How did you find Martha Beck? How did you think about, or decide to become a life coach? Well, you know, you and I have <laughs> talked about that a little bit. Like I, you still, still haven't decided. <laughs> well, I still have a funny feeling about that that label it's it's still like just I don't know if it fits me yet and I don't know if I'm going to try to like <laughs> make this totally different title that is that but it doesn't sound like it you know <laughs> yeah we're talking about the word coach we both like laughed about how it sounds weird especially if you've had a professional title and then you start calling yourself a coach you're like I don't know it just doesn't feel right it's just a funny title, honestly, mm -hmm. life coach. It's like, let me tell you how to do everything. Right. Like, it's yes. <laughs> and, and you feel a little bit like you have to, you know, hide your flaws, mm -hmm. show up to be this forward. perfect person that everyone can, you know, model like what now? Um, so I'm excited to have these tools to be able to partner with somebody else to like help them through what has been so difficult for me. Um, and the reason why I chose that is because after a year and a half of doing this weekly writing, I felt like 
sharing what I had to say and like figuring those things out on my own um, was a tremendous gift, mainly because people were reading it. And so my readers were my compassionate witness, you know? Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And I think that's what helped because people can journal all the live long day, but if you're not accountable to somebody to like work through your stuff and if nobody's listening, Mm -hmm. I don't know what happens to that. Cause that's not my experience. My experience has been to like really develop a a narrative around some particular issue, you know, Mm -hmm. and to kind of feel complete about it and to, to send it out and to share it. And so um, I wanted to figure out how to like package that to share it with other people, this Mm -hmm. experience that I had, this process and like uh, this transformation, like how do I do that? And Martha Beck just kept showing back up. You know, Mm -hmm. I first saw her program and I was like, oh my God, that looks incredible. I totally want to do that. And then the little devil on my shoulder is like, what the heck are you going to do that for? You know? And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to do it then. Right. Yeah. And then like months later, when it was like the night before, I think the, um, like you get a thousand dollars off or something for some period of time, like the early bird special, the next day it was over. So it showed back up, right. Like giving me another chance. And I was like, I'm doing it. Oh, I love that. I really didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah, I want to do that. You know? Because you're, you are working through a lot of internal stuff, but you do a really good job of writing about it and also telling readers how to work through it, like how step-by-step, like how you went through it. So an example might be like, if you're having an issue with um, like a, another mom or something and you go through like, here's what I was thinking in my head. And then here's how I questioned that thought. And so I think that's really helpful. Have you had any readers, um, like confront you about stuff that they've read. Yeah. Uh, let me try to think. I got a really long letter about, um, gosh, what the heck was that? It was, it was extremely involved. And I don't remember, I think she didn't like how I, um, gosh, I wish I could remember. She didn't like how I handled a particular problem. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was, I was really honest about my thought process and it kind of sounded, um, a little bit like I was being a little flip about, um, I want to say maybe cutting people out of my life. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly how it was, but she was like, you know, I'm really sorry that your parents were not involved in your, um, you know, your grandparents weren't involved in your upbringing. It would have been nice if they had shown up and like, you know, contributed financially or whatever. She was like, that's just really sad that they didn't do that. And so I answered her back and I was like, actually, no, they were super abusive. And I'm glad that they didn't get involved in my upbringing because that would have been really bad. Yeah. So I think when you share your life, people then assume things a little Mm -hmm. bit about you. Like they think they know it all. They don't like, you know, you just don't have any idea of the details of what somebody's own personal experience is. So, um, you know, and I had that experience this weekend when I was having a conversation with my stepmother, um, my 
stepbrother who I was able to reconnect with after almost 20 years. Wow. It was so interesting to get to like be with him. And he's like a, a really cool guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And we went for a walk and got to reconnect and, and catch up on everything, you know, the last 20 years. And I was like, you know, I wish that I could say to your kids, because these are these two lovely kids, 11 and 14. Yeah. But I want to say to them, like, look, you know, my brother and I, because my brother and I traveled down to see my dad is sick. I was like, we're not these kind of people who have, um, who grow up with someone else and then just like, don't talk to them ever again. I just wanted you to know like how that all came about, you know? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, cool, whatever. So when I got home, his daughter was sitting there because she's at her, my stepmother, this is her home. and And she had her granddaughter there who lives right across the street. And I was like, Hey, I just wanted to tell you. And I kind of like started to talk about that. I said, you know, your, your dad and I were raised under the same roof, but in very different households, you know, I was raised by my dad and the four of us all were sort of subject to whatever it was that he was going to do or not do for us. And your dad had his mother, you know, Mm -hmm. who was a great mom, like very, like showed up for everything, made sure he had everything that he needed. And then some, Um, so when we weren't getting our needs met and he had a great life, it didn't really foster a lot of like close, you know, like family ties going forward. And so the, the, his daughter just looked at me kind of like, what, you know, (laughs) 11, she's like, what is this crazy lady? Like, why do I care? And, um, my stepmother was like, whoa you know, I did so much for you guys and I cared very deeply about you, you know? Yeah. And I did have that moment where a lot of times moms do so much invisible labor, you know, people Mm -hmm. don't recognize what we're all doing. And I acknowledge that like, Hey, you know, I was a kid in that environment. Of course, kids take so many so much work of moms, uh, for granted. Cause it's yeah, just like I do. things that are getting done in the background. Right. And, um, so I, you know, I acknowledged that to her and I said, but also we all have to realize that each one of us have, has a totally different perspective. Like I was a kid in that house, you yeah. were an adult having your own struggles, but like I was a child missing a mom. Yeah. You know? And so it's not that I'm right and you're wrong. It's that we just had a totally different experience, you know, mm-hmm. and we're all entitled to our own truth. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, we've never had conversations like that before and I was proud of myself for just kind of, um, holding my own space, like just yeah. take my own space and, you know, being okay with it. And, uh, it was a lot, of, it was very heavy to do that. So, but I don't remember what question you asked me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to ask, like, what advice do you give to moms who are kind of in the thick of it and maybe they're feeling pulled between their career and, and momming and they're just like, what do I do? How do I find myself again? Wow. Um, Well, I think the, probably the first thing is to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, like we tend to um, not keep our wardrobe up and not, you know, get haircuts and not, you know, just little stuff that sit down to eat. Yeah. Not sit down to eat. Right. Just like pick off whatever so-and-so didn't eat their chicken nuggets, you know, Yeah. like no. Right. 
like sit down, have a meal, like a person, if your partner is going to be sitting down and expecting to be served, like the kids, um, have the conversation that, you know, you've, you're equal partners in a relationship that everyone's home, mm-hmm. you know, when everyone's home, nobody should be getting waited on anybody yeah. who's got two hands can, you know, pick up a cup and set the table. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think it's just a matter of, um, taking up space and, and really creating the life that, that you want and also modeling for your children, um, mm-hmm. because they're going to be taking this model into their lives too. Like, yeah, it's so I true. watched, yeah. I mean, I watched my mom just really struggle with having to kind of like do everything. And then one day she just left, like she just yeah. got burnt out or, you know what? I'm, I can't speak for why she did it. Um, but to my eye, it looked like she'd had it. Yeah. Know? Like four kids all under the age, like 13 and under all like one or two years apart, mm-hmm. um, not having a partner for that many years was just hard. So I don't ever want to end up feeling like I don't have any options. And so the only way that I could do that is to take care of myself. And it's been a, a hard lesson, um, for me that the, the, more you take care of yourself, like women sometimes think, oh, well, I'm being selfish, you know, like going and having a massage or going on vacation with my friends. Like that's so selfish. Like, Mm -hmm. no, no. Like taking care of yourself is taking care of other people. And it's kind of sad to even think about it in those terms. Right. It's like drinking water. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. So like really self-care is number one, having an equal partnership and not, you know, Mm -hmm. allowing a spouse to be another child. Like that's ridiculous, you know? Yeah. So even though my husband is a super busy lawyer, like he does half the grocery shopping, half the cooking, Mm -hmm. he's involved with teachers. He, you know, knows friends, he knows their parents and that's new, you know, that's, that's a pandemic change in our lives, but it was necessary. You know, I want to have a sustainable model. Like I don't want to one day go, what the hell am I doing? Like, this Mm -hmm. doesn't feel good. I'm going to pack and leave now, you know? Yeah. And then also like you were talking about the writing workshop you took with your friend, like you have to follow your interest and make time to do stuff like that. We all say, oh, I can't tonight. I, you know, can't possibly spare the money to pay for this workshop or whatever, but it's, I mean, that led to your whole writing career. Yeah, totally. I just, anything that's going to feed your soul, like that is totally necessary, you know, Um, absolutely not optional. So I feel like all the work that I'm doing now is just all like soul food, all of it. Yeah. That's a great way to describe all this work. It's, it's hard work, you know, to figure out like all the things that all the tangles you've had for years and then sort of untangle them, but Mm -hmm. it is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't remember what self-helpy person. I mean, there's so many in my head that said, just don't shit all over yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we did. That is just, those are those are key words to hold in my hand every day because mm-hmm. uh, it just doesn't make sense to live your life um, measuring yourself by some external thing that honestly, if you're trying to please other people, 
A, that ain't ever going to happen. Someone's always going to have a problem with how you're doing whatever it is. So why bother? Yeah. (laughs) You know, if you could go back and give yourself advice when you were having your first child and trying to figure out what to do with your law career, any advice for your younger self? Um, yeah, like, don't be afraid to try new things. Don't worry about what other people think, you know, and gosh, you know, I wonder if, um, if I would have chosen differently had I known this, that, or the other, but I don't think so. Yeah. I think I needed to go through all that to get here. And I love where I am right now. Yes. So can people find your book, Elizabeth? Well, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, It is in draft form still. I sent it off to be considered by a couple of different agents, but it didn't get picked up right away. And so I was like, hmm, I had more time to think about whether that narrative was the one that I wanted to lead with. And I just don't think it is. I think that book will see the light of day, but not right now, because whatever we're doing, whatever we're doing with, um, with Martha Beck, yeah. Gonna lead me to this next, um, the next iteration of what I'm doing with my writing. And I don't know what it is. And that's super exciting. And I'm finally okay with it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you are right. You're literally writing your own story. Yeah, I am. It's really cool. It's like happening live. It is. It totally is in real time. And it makes me think like anyone who I talk to or I hang out with or any family, they're probably at the back of their head. Like, is this going to be in your thing this weekend? <laughs> I know. It's all fair like, game. We were out to dinner with a couple of friends, uh, 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 not long ago. And, um, we started to have an argument and my friend Matt goes, well, um, I'm just wondering, like, if you get mad at somebody, is is there something in your head? All of a sudden you're like, you're blogged. (laughs) (laughs) I'm writing this into my next blog post. I love it. Yeah. But where can can my listeners find you? So I do a Friday story every week on elizabethheist.com. And that's E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H. H-E-I-S-E.com. And you can subscribe to my stories and receive one every Friday in your inbox. I can also be found on Instagram at elizabethheiss.writer and on Twitter, which I very rarely go to, but sometimes I do. Um, and my handle is Elizabeth one So good. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, you're welcome. I always love talking to you, Hope. Thanks, Elizabeth. Okay, here are the take-home points from her talk. Number one, when your heart is beating out of your chest with nervousness and excitement, this is the feeling of being alive. All systems are saying, go! Number two, notice if you have a mental block around focusing on yourself because of the external expectations that being privileged means you can't sit on your laurels. You always have to be doing for others. Number three, ask yourself, what would I be doing with my life if I had no shoulds? 
Number four, the truth may not be pretty and it may hurt other people's feelings, but it's about being in alignment. Being authentic means being true to yourself, but also accepting the repercussions of what you say or do. When you're in a tough situation, keep asking yourself, is this okay? Does this feel okay? Number five, sharing your experience can be a tremendous gift, whether it's through writing or speaking, because what you're getting is compassionate witnesses. You can journal all day, but if you're not accountable to someone, what happens to all of this? For Elizabeth, this transformation of feeling complete involves getting it out there. Number six, take care of yourself as a mom. Be an equal partner in a relationship. Your spouse is not your kid. Take up space. Create the life you want. Model for your children because they'll be taking this into their lives. And lastly, when you take care of yourself, this is taking care of other people. Anything that feeds your soul is totally necessary and absolutely not optional. It's soul food. y'all for listening. It was so much fun talking to you today. All right. If you are ready to make some major changes in your life, if you're at the point where you are sick and tired of feeling stuck and directionless, and you really don't know what to do next or where to go, maybe it's time we had a little chat. So I have it set up on my website. You can schedule a free 30-minute discovery call and we'll sit down and decide if we're a good fit. Maybe you'd prefer group coaching. Maybe you need one-on-one coaching or maybe you just want to talk and and say hello. So go on over to my website. It's coachhopecook.com. That's H-O-P-E-C-O-O-K.com and schedule the free discovery call. And I can't wait to talk to you. So See you next week, and hopefully I'll talk to some of you before that.